were we the first ones to split the atom, to discover or create the nuclear bomb? Right? Let, let, just for a second, let's just leave ETs and, and different spiritual beings and, and dimensions and let, let's just leave all that out of it just for a second. Were we the first society to learn how to split the atom? I'm not talking about another planet, I'm talking about this one. Could there have been an ancient society many years ago that was just as advanced, if not slightly more advanced, if not maybe even dramatically more advanced than us, right? And I ask this question because there's ample evidence that has come to light that has been able to at least give us the ability to question history, both recent and far long ago, longer than man has at least been able to write and maintain papers and documents, that may lead us to believe that nuclear war, or at least some type of nuclear usage of sorts, did in fact happen at one point in time. So, modern history views the 1945 Trinity atomic bomb test as our civilization's entry into the nuclear age. But the archaeological and geological records, ancient literature, and even the words of Robert Oppenheimer himself, force investigators to consider puzzling evidence that begs the question, has Earth been the site of ancient nuclear wars in the past? Did humanity blast itself back into the Stone Age? And will we do it again? So that's a little bit complex, or it's, it's a lot to grasp in one shot, so let's just break this down. So first off, let me start by saying that I personally think that whether it's splitting the atom or some other type of war and usage, it's not limited to just us as a species. I mean, violence has been used all the time in many different species on this planet and in other dimensions as well as in other planets in the universe. This is not a unique type of mindset or physical entrapment that just kind of bubbles the, this earth, right? So first we have to understand what the Trinity test was that I just mentioned. So after the 1941 Japanese Pearl Harbor attack, the U.S. triggered something called the Manhattan Project, a crash weapons research program, if you will. One of the programs under the Manhattan Project was called Trinity, directed by theoretical physicist Robert Oppenheimer, dedicated to weaponizing nuclear fission as quickly as possible, right? This was World War II. This was a very different time period. People were in a, the U.S. was in a rush in order to now get involved in the war and have something superior and have advantage to uh, over other countries, right, that were not allies. So, Oppenheimer was successful. On July 16, 1945, his agency detonated a test plutonium bomb at the White Sands Proving Grounds. One witness reported, and I quote, the lighting effects beggared description. The whole country was lighted by a searing light with the intensity many times that of the midday sun. It was golden, purple, violet, gray, and blue. It lit every peak, crevice, and ridge of the nearby mountain range with a clarity and beauty that cannot be described but must be seen to be imagined. End quote. The Trinity Explosion Crater was 300 feet wide and 5 feet deep. Inside was a green glassy material indicating temperatures of 3,090 degrees Fahrenheit or 1,700 degrees Celsius. 
the minimum needed to melt sand into glass. This radioactive glass was then named trinitite and was considered a unique material found nowhere else on the earth. Now later, when questioned whether Trinity was the first ever detonation of an atomic device, the inscrutable Robert Oppenheimer replied, yes, in modern times. Since then, much has been made of Oppenheimer's words that beg the question, and what about prior to modern times? Right? Did Oppenheimer suspect there had been a prehistoric nuclear war? I mean, if he did, then he certainly had good reason. I'll explain why. So, enthralled by the Bhagavad Gita, the great Indian war epic written around the 2nd century BCE, and I apologize if I butchered that pronunciation, Oppenheimer began Sanskrit study so he could read the text in its original non-altered language. While he was a professor prior to World War II, he was known to quote passages from the Mahabharata in every class lecture. While much is made of the Bhagavad Gita as a mythic spiritual saga, Oppenheimer, as a student and professor of theoretical physics and thermodynamics, was captivated by the explosive burning weapons and devices described in detail so precisely that modern researchers have been able to reverse engineer technologies that have just been described from Indian scripture, right, from Sanskrit and Vedic literature. That is insane. That, that, that's not something it, that, that is part of a made-up story. You cannot turn a made-up story into science if that made-up story was meant to be purely fictional. The, the, the probability of that is like one in a million, all right? And so the question then becomes, were these magical weapons within these texts of the Mahabharata, were they nuclear bombs or some type of nuclear fission device, right? And I mean, what I'm about to tell you is just is mind-blowing, really. So one section of these texts called the Book of Drona describes magical weapons called Astra that could destroy entire armies and I quote, causing crowds of warriors with steeds and elephants and weapons to be carried away as if they were dry leaves of trees, end quote. Another weapon was described as producing vertical, billowing smoke clouds that open consecutively like giant umbrellas reminiscent of the mushroom clouds produced by the atomic bomb, right? And look, I'm, there's going to be more as I read along, but I just want to say very quickly, these descriptions within these texts are extremely interesting. Now, I know someone like Oppenheimer, should, you know, to be politically correct and all that, would say something like, yes, this is the most powerful weapon in modern times. And a lot of people say that, right? But I'm very glad a lot of people question what he meant by that, particularly when he made that statement back in the day. Because these scriptures and texts, and this is not the only one, but this is certainly one of the more descriptive ones. These texts describe these bombs or these magical devices as so descriptive and so correlated to the weapons we have now that it really has to make you think, right? So among the most destructive of the Astra was the Brahmastra, created by the god Brahma, a single, and I quote, single projectile charged with all the power in the universe. It was an unknown weapon, an iron thunderbolt, a gigantic messenger of death, which reduced to ashes an entire race. There was neither a counterattack nor a defense that could stop it, end quote. Now, let me say that when I am quoting these words, these sentences, these are directly translated from these ancient Indian scriptures, right? So, the weapon produced, 
an incandescent column of smoke and flame, as bright as 10,000 suns that rose in all of its splendor, after corpses were so burned as to be unrecognizable. Their hair, nails, everything fell out. Pottery broke without any apparent cause. The birds turned white. And after a few hours, all food were infected. Any target hit by the Brahmasta would be utterly destroyed. Land would become barren and lifeless. Rainfall would cease. And infertility in humans and animals would follow for aeons of time. Right? And so the Brahmasta was detonated at the end of the final 18-day battle of Kurukshetra. The Pandavas vanquished their enemy. The Kauravs, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, the Kauravs with the devastating weapon. But the few surviving Pandavas discovered that there was nothing left to occupy and nobody left to rule. The Brahmastra had, or Brahmastra had destroyed the entire Kaurava society and turned the region, which is present-day Rajasthan, to desert. The war also marked in the Vedic system the beginning of the current Kali Yuga age, right? So, declassified eyewitness accounts of the Trinity, we're going to go back to 1945, or 41, sorry, 45 accounts of the Trinity nuclear test echo the ancient descriptions of the Brahmasta, right? And I quote, Intense light covered my field of vision, after which I noted an orange-red glow. The clouds started to push up, appearing as a parachute being blown up by a large electric fan, end quote. Ten miles from the blast, witness Enrico Fermi reported, quote, I had the impression that suddenly the countryside became brighter than full daylight. And then technician Kenneth Greeson, who was also roughly ten miles from the site, saw a brilliant yellow-white light all around. A tremendous cloud of smoke was pouring upwards, some parts having brilliant red and yellow colors, like clouds at sunset. And then Philip Morrison finally reported... When I, what I saw first was a brilliant violet glow. Immediately after this brilliant violet flash, I observed an enormous, brilliant disk of white light, a color much whiter and several times brighter than the noon sun. End quote. Now, here's what we now have to ask. This is the next question. Clearly, there is description within these scriptures of godlike weapons. Now, yes, that would be something that back in ancient times or even prehistoric ancient times, humans would refer to as. And Because when you sort of drop science into an era in which humans cannot understand or any being cannot understand, any intelligent being, they would probably refer to it as magical or mystical or, or, or heavenly or, or, or deathly or, you know, those kind of words, right? So... We have to think, when the atomic bomb was dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, it's not like just the Trinity test while they were producing the atomic bomb to see if it was successful. It's not like the atomic bomb produced these things as described by the witnesses and the technicians who helped create this, as well as the Indian scriptures. It's not like this matched up just one time. This matched up multiple times over and over and over again. Right? So... We then have to look at the physical evidence of ancient nuclear wars, right? Desert glass, for example. And why do I say desert glass? Because if you recall earlier, what I mentioned was that the temperature ignited by the Trinity test described that the temperature in which it was 300 feet wide and 5 feet deep, the temperature and the heat, if you will, 
that created these types of rocks and glass underneath the explosion is the exact temperature, which is that or above, that you would need in order to create these types of things from that type of heat and material. So when the Trinity team discovered the green glass in the bomb craters, they named the material Trinitite, right? Ironically so. The glass, also called nuclear, atomic, and desert glass, was formed when silica sand was heated to temperatures above 1,700 degrees centigrade by the blast. So, after the Trinity test, engineer Albion Hart noticed that, that the Trinitite was identical to the material he had seen in the African desert decades earlier. He calculated that the size of the African glass deposit indicated a blast 10,000 times more powerful than the Trinity bomb that was tested. The similarities were dismissed as no one believed an ancient or modern blast of those proportions as possible. But as we're finding out more and more, there are things that were conducted and done in the ancient times that some people can't even grasp to this day. And I'm not pointing to one particular society in, in particular. I'm saying there are many different societies across thousands and thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of years, if not millions, in which humans advanced and had different, I guess you could say, versions of their own society. So it could be argued that the society that we're living in right now is just one of many, right? And so the cycle of life is that the world eventually recorrects itself, if you will, or humans become too intelligent or too greedy, if you will. So that sort of life resets. And that's just kind of the way of life. Everything goes up, everything goes down, right? It's just the, the cycle of life, right? I mean, and it's been said that there are empires within these phases of human societal ascension. So what I mean by that is that, for example, there was the Roman Empire, right? And then you had the French, and then you had the British. Part of my history, if, if that order is not correct. And then now you have the Americans, right? And so there's these, I guess you could call them vast empires within these sort of reset bubbles, if you will. And then eventually there will be another bubble that metaphorically pops, and then things start over again, right? So earlier, in 1932, an Egyptian geological survey team member, Patrick Clayton, was driving across the desert near the Saad Plateau. He said he heard a crunching under the wheel of his car, unusual in that he was driving on sand surfaces. He stopped and discovered large pieces of glass in the sand. The glass has also been found under Neolithic, Sumerian, and Babylon Babylonian layers at archaeological sites in Iraq, in modern-day Iraq. Is it possible that ancient civilizations prior to the Neolithic period, blew itself back to the Stone Age with nuclear devices, right? Libyan desert glass deposits, estimated to be 28.5 million years old, stretch over 6,500 square kilometers into neighboring Egypt. The light green Libyan grass, which ancient myths have called the Rock of God, was so gem-like and so crystal clear it was used in royal Egyptian jewelry and 10,000-year-old Paleolithic tools made from desert glass have been found in Egypt and throughout North Africa. It makes you really think, if you were there extraterrestrials that gave this technology to humans, was there an advanced human civilization before? Did, it, did, did all these human civilizations or these large metaphorical bubbles, if you will, pop because of the acceleration in which there was so much greed and and rebelliousness and, and thirst for revenge amongst humans. What was going on here? 
right? Now, it has also been said, because I do want to play devil's advocate, that this desert glass was created by lightning and meteors, right? But there's, believe it or not, when you break it down, there's more evidence to factually suggest that these were nuclear or atomic residue, if you will, as opposed to the lightning and meteor proposal, right? Now, the last thing I want to cover is ancient radioactive sites in India and in modern-day India and Pakistan. So, 10 miles west of Jodhpur, a city in the northern Rajasthan region of India, a three-square-mile radioactive zone was discovered during excavation for a housing project. Under the ground surface were a layer of highly radioactive dust and ash in a circular pattern consistent with what occurs underneath a typical airburst nuclear detonation. The housing project was then cancelled, but coincidentally in 2016, India's Defense Research and Development Organization built a, built a laboratory at Jodhpur to develop a drone-mounted radioactivity sensor to solely focus on that particular area. Now, first off, let me just say, if it wasn't of importance, why would, they, why would the Indian government even do that? Why would they even consider it, right? So, in what is now Pakistan, the ruins of two ancient cities, Harappa and Mohenjo-Dara, were discovered in the 1920s, right? The two sites were dated to around 2500 BCE. And so, archaeological excavation began, as, you know, we don't normally do when we want to find stuff out about such old prehistoric structures and, and towns and what have you. And when the dig reached the original street level, 44 skeletons were found sprawled in the ancient roadways. A researcher by the name of David Davenport found what would, be, what would have been a blast epicenter, a 50-yard radius at the site where all objects were found to have been fused and glassified. And another researcher reported at least one skeleton that had 50 times the level of radiation it should have had. Right? And so, after the discoveries, there was official silence on the topic, aside from the explanations that included a meteor strike, nuclear testing, and other scenarios. What was interesting was the 1983 National Cancer Registry report stating that leukemia in skin, bone, and prostate cancer occurrences were much higher in Jodhpur where these blasts and these skeletons were found than the rest of the country, than the rest of India. India is huge. Think about that. So while officials and, and mainstream scientists continued to find alternate explanations for anomalies like the desert glass, the radioactive skeletons, ancient nuclear dust and ash and all that, the simplest explanation is that at some point in distant human history, radioactive devices were in fact det detonated, whether that was of human descent or whether that was of extraterrestrial descent, it's very hard to say, right? So as a scientist, going back to Oppenheimer, like I mentioned earlier, he would have been familiar with the Occam's razor principle, which is that if there are multiple explanations for a mystery, the simplest solution is likely to, to close it, the closest to the truth, sorry, right? If there are multiple explanations for a mystery, the simplest solutions are likely to be the closest to the truth. So I'm not telling you guys what to think. I'm just trying to present the facts as I see fit, right? So let me know what you guys think. I mean, there are many Hindu texts that describe flying vimanas and, and details of ancient ancient wars with these weapons, 
right? So whether or not they're nuclear, whether or not they were given to us, whether or not we developed them, but we, we uh, were wiped out at one point in time or almost wiped out, whether or not there's a sort of a constant reset, not just on Earth or in the universe, it's very hard to tell. There's so many directions in which this theory or proposal could go. But what we cannot deny is the science behind it, right? So let me know what you guys think, and we will catch you next time. Peace.